This episode of the IGN UK podcast is brought to you by Audible. With a new universe, a new set of superheroes, a new reason to believe. Stan Lee's Alliances, a trick of light. Only on Audible. Hello and welcome to the IGN UK podcast. It's me, Simon. How are you doing, guys? Who are you? <laughs> I'm Joe Scrabbles, and I'm worse than I was before. <laughs> and I'm Matt Perslow, and I'm significantly worse than I was wow. four seconds ago. You... Four seconds ago? <laughs> yeah, because oh, you made I, it... I thought I'd bring joy to people's lives. You brought joy for a second, but then suddenly told us that we had to introduce ourselves. It felt <laughs> yeah. rude. Nah. <laughs> do, it, do it yourself. If you want something doing well in life, do it yourself. Like what? It's a lot of things. I, I recommend doing all your own plumbing and electrics. <laughs> yeah. You save a lot of money, and there's only so many mistakes you can make. Mm. What do you like doing, Matt? Do, doing by yourself. <laughs> yeah. uh, doing this podcast on myself. Fuck off. <laughs> Jesus. Do it by yourself. Wow. Uh, please send in feedback if you'd like to listen to a, a one-man show from Matt Persley. I actually would. Yeah. I think you'd on a have subject some of your choice. Spencil that in for uh, maybe we can do podcast 500A. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I, we're just cancelling all plans for podcast 500. It's now just Matt in a room. Yeah. It's Matt covered in. Oh, no, wait. I can't what? talk about that. Covered in. What? I wasn't actually going to say anything dirty then, but I just realised it was I was revealing an element Ooh. of surprise for the podcast. Oh, interesting. Um, Matt, we saw a film this year. This, this year, year. <laughs> technically, technically true, technically true. Just roll with it. Uh, and also this week, wow. Um, Quentin Tarantino's been making films again. He does yes. that, doesn't he? Um, Nine times now. Yeah. Well, is he retiring ten. yet? Well, get on with Matt. it. He says he's made nine because he thinks Kill Bill is one film and not two. Shut up. It's a mad thing. You release them separately in cinemas, mate. With, with multiple two films. How was it? Was it multiple years between them or multiple yeah. just months? Was, uh, a, it was, was a year. one year off the other, right. yeah. But there were two films. What's he, what's yeah. he on he's about? He's a strange man. Yeah. It would be better if this was his eighth film and Kill Bill didn't exist. But well, Kill Bill 1 good. Kill no, Bill 2 is always Well, I mean, maybe we've got other ideas about films that shouldn't exist. Yes. That's fair. Well, so we saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, his new film set in the golden age, well, the twilight of the golden age of Hollywood, mm. 1969, The Summer of Love. It's so coming to an end. It was The Summer of Love, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, I got it right. There's definitely... I should never question myself. No. <sighs> You're um, so full of facts, Cardi, and you bring them, and then you're like, I oh, maybe they're not a fact, maybe there's something I'm, I made I'm up. I'm like the most insecure, darling Kindersley man. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. Weird. <laughs> Weird. Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt, mm. they're having a good time in Hollywood, or are they? Ooh, wow. Ooh. Well, I came out of this film thinking... I kind of liked it. Okay, I was I, very unsure. Before, before getting into yes. opinions... I don't actually know what this film is about. Okay. I've this seen is, the trailers. This and is something we need to do on the podcast <laughs> yeah. where we need to explain what the damn film is before we well, get to critique. Well, because the trailers show, like, madcap mm-hmm. stuff yes. and filmmaking and, like, a bit of throwing stuff at walls. Yeah. That is kind of the film for two hours for you. It is kind of... That is the thing. It's a little bit directionless. Yeah. It's... Is it it, a t- it's is it, trying to be a film. Well, I think we think this film is about two different things. Yes. Yeah. So I think it's a film about the end of that golden age of Hollywood, like 
the star power of the actors and westerns and all that and bringing in like the 70s with all Scorsese and that mm. coming along and DiCaprio kind of personifies that as being like a cowboy TV star from the 50s mm-hmm. who's kind of not getting the roles he did anymore right and Brad Pitt plays his stunt double so they're kind of they play like a Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid kind yeah. of duo they play off each other really well and they're both like all the acts in this film is amazing and kind of it's well I think so anyway <laughs> Matt rolls out um, <laughs> But it's also set against this backdrop of this constant looming dread of the Manson murders. <laughs> okay. Because that is obviously... And that in real life, that kind of did signify the end of this golden age of Hollywood. Mm. That Whether it meant it or not, no. yeah, it was a, a horrendous thing that I think obviously caused a lot of people yeah. to reassess what life was. Yeah, and it's that's the problem with this film, that for two hours it's kind of this character study of DiCaprio and this time in Hollywood where things are changing and I really I really like those aspects of it but you're constantly just waiting for what is Tarantino doing with these Manson murders because mm. you're constantly worrying is he gonna just really take a bad tone with it right and I'm still caught between whether I think it's sensitive or completely insensitive wow <laughs> and I can't make my mind up whether I'm obviously not gonna say what happens in no, the man. end but I can't. I mean, because dis- apart from anything else, we know that Tarantino has a healthy yeah. disregard for the actual historical events. Well, there we yeah. go. Yeah. So- and obviously, what happened in real life is horrific. And it's whether what happens in the film at the end is as horrific as what happened. Mm. I mean, if you are aware of a Tarantino film and you've seen one of those, you might be aware of his slight enthusiasm for violence. <laughs> There's there's some enthusiastic violence going on. There's not as much on. as there's only really about. There's not a lot for a, t- a Tarantino film. There's oh, it all not a lot in of about violence. Five minutes. But, yeah, but there is one point where I was like, you just didn't have to do that, right? You, and I was like, he just can't help himself. Yeah, so, I scrunched up. But this is <laughs> the thing. The trailers don't make it clear to me, like I say, mm-hmm. what this film is, and so the idea. It is is kind it a tone piece? Like it kind of yeah, it is. Kind of, I think it's just it's Tarantino being Tarantino of like it's just a love letter to cinema, to which me, is the I, I thing thought, he loves doing. I thought this looked like Tarantino's Hail Caesar. It like, kind of it kind of is got a bit of that. Like to this it. idea of it like, is gen- like genuinely some of his funniest stuff. I think is in there. Yeah, and they do some really good stuff like playing with real life films and DiCaprio's characters. Obviously, completely fictionalized, but mm. almost everything else in the film is there and did happen the bruce lee guy looks good that was that was a good moment although i don't know i've seen some backlash from bruce lee's family yeah. being like why have you painted because they kind of make turn him into a bit of a fool oh really yeah. which is weird oh weird but it is it is a good scene in the film it's mm. it's, it's very very funny but i when i was watching it, i was like this this does feel like it's bordering on being slightly racist at the moment <laughs> I, know, I, I never felt there's, that. There's a lot of kind of holding up fists and going, yeah. I mean, he did do he that. I know he did that, but <laughs> it's just, it just, it felt, I think because it potentially does paint him as a bit of an idiot. Yeah. Like, mm. I don't, and this is the thing is like, I think from Tarantino's perspective, it might have come, uh, like, because he just genuinely, you can clearly tell he loves this period. Mm. So don't necessarily think that he was coming at it like, look at this idiot. We'll just get mm. our guys in to sort of show him up. But there is, there's quite a lot of it that I had sort of like points where I was like I don't know if this is being done necessarily for the right reasons I I just think it's a little unfocused I think it would 
you could have made this film and it would have been a good film without having any of the Manson stuff yeah. in it. But that's kind of... Like, if I didn't already know that you'd cast Charles Manson in it, mm. I wouldn't expect that to be a part of and the that, film. And that's the weird thing, is kind of like it's... So I think it's very unfocused and I think it takes a long time to do a lot of nothing. But I think I'd be quite happy with a long time to do a lot of nothing if it was just focusing on... DiCaprio and and sort of like his relationship with the stunt double and mm. all and just him dealing with the fact that he's sort of not getting on with Hollywood so much anymore and Hollywood is changing and he can't you know it's that old story of not being able to teach an old dog new tricks yeah. kind of stuff well, but it's it, also like that is a fascinating period and yeah. also like I remember learning about the end of the golden age and the start of like the 70s independent movement mm -hmm. and stuff mm -hmm. at uni and not really realising that it was quite as like intense a change as it was Rebels of and, the like, Backlot but, like, yeah, but I've never really seen a film about that and so I would love yeah. to see that history mm -hmm. told to me but it sounds like it kind of doesn't want to be so like, I think this is where maybe mine and Cardi's opinions sort of change I think Cardi believes that there's more to the that side of it than I do. Whereas I've got this thing where it's like, it is Sharon. So I didn't realize before I went in that Sharon Tate was literally a character. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's probably a, a warning to anybody that does go and watch it. Do read who Sharon Tate was and why she's important. Yeah, a if lot you don't of already the, know. a lot of the little hints and like little things they say and, and events building up certain bits will be lost on you. If you're not familiar with what happened that night, is that 1969 or bad thing from a, I viewers perspective it won't make any sense if you don't know what it is any sense really? you'll know unless it depends how much you know, you'll get more out of it you'll you'll know what's going on but i don't think you'd well have the same my thing enjoyment's not it. the right word <laughs> do you think in a tarantino way he wants this kind of reaction i don't do you know. think he loves I... the idea that there's podcasts happening where people are having this kind of discussion i'm not sure i don't think he's ever as trying to be as controversial as I don't think he's ever trying to poke people. I just think he firmly believes in making what he wants to make. Yeah, there is that, yeah. And fair, like, there's not many directors that would do that and are allowed to do that. Mm. So I appreciate mm -hmm. it for that. Yeah, I think I just, yeah, like I said, I'm just not sure the ending quite worked for me. Whereas, like, say, I really like Inglorious Bastards, Django, mm. and The Hate for I, like a lot of people not so keen on those last three because they're a bit long. And I the same with this one, they could do with some editing. Yeah, but. I really like like Inglorious Bastards. Some people don't like the ending because it is just mad, but I love it because it it is exactly it's a fantasy. That. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, and it's such a we were saying it's World War Two is such a broad thing that can't I don't know. It seems less personal that well, ending also than what happens in this one. It also like you're talking about with this like with the Manson family. Mm. Lots of people don't know that story. Yeah, everyone knows World War Two's story. Yeah, yeah. And, like, and you know it to like quite a granular level if you've done mm -hmm. like mm. secondary education. So and that's but, one of my things with it is that so I think even in Glorious Bastards, I think you could actually watch that with not really understanding a huge amount of what World War Two is, and it very clearly in the act structure defines kind of like bits of World War Two that are affecting its characters. Mm -hmm. The first one is the first act is quite clearly about you know the French having to suffer from the occupation and the the fact that kind of like there are certain people that the Nazis really don't like and they are hunting them. Yeah. And you already get the the once upon a time Hollywood never really explains who the Mansons are. Like a Manson I think is barely even mentioned by I think name. He's in it. He's yeah, he's 
yeah, they don't really focus mm. on him. So there's no educational value from him. It's not that I'm looking for you to tell me who the man's are, but it's such a thing that's sort of happening on the side that when it turns out that it's kind of building to a certain crescendo that involves a lot of that I sort of feel like it doesn't deserve where it goes of, to it's his first film in I can think in memory that doesn't actually have like the chapter slides like mm. the cut it's just one long mm-hmm. it's like one time jump in the film but that's it like there's no chapter slides which kind of makes it feel more meandering because it is the first two hours is kind of just takes place over pretty much one or two days yeah. and it's kind of just kind between these characters doing very separate things which never really come mm-hmm. together until right at the end but they barely do and I don't know it's just that thing of I think for the first two hours it's a really good character study and then he can't help himself at the end and just do what he normally does and turn it into a pulp film yeah which just kind of just undermines everything that's come before and I like and I don't but this is me I do re- and I want to see it again just because now I know how it ends I won't have the same level of anxiety of what's he doing with yeah. this event I am not a huge Tarantino fan but I am I was in, very intrigued by this film because it looks more like my kind of thing mm-hmm. and the historical element of it was really interesting to me and I am super interested in true crime and stuff so that's a, 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 like a draw to me yeah but it does sound like a lot of the stuff that I really don't mm-hmm. like about Tarantino movies. Yeah. It's weird. Like, it's kind of fascinating. It's, it is because he kind of is the last bastion of that, the 70s independent guys yeah. out of time. Yeah. And he loves that. So it is interesting to see, like, a giant movie that's going to do a great yeah. deal of mm-hmm. business. Well, it's already it's doing it. Has it has business. Yeah. Yeah. Did you watch um, The Nice Guys? Yeah. It's kind of got that sort... It's not as a ball... Nowhere near a balls-out comedy as that yeah. is. But it's kind of... It's a Tarantino take on that sort of film, I think. But it's just... I, don't, I do really like it now. Yeah, it's, it's one really, of those like, things The more where... I think about it, the more things I like about it. Mm. I'm just still not sure about that ending. Yeah. And the more I think about it, the more I dislike it. Interesting. Mm, yeah. Well, you're wrong. I, I would mean, love to know what our <laughs> listeners think about it. Because I bet... Well, it's not out for, It's not out till the 14th. Is it here. not? You no. lucky bastards. It's been out in America for a week or so. Well, we'll ask, we'll ask for feedback later on. But if you do yeah. remember, email us about it then. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those that I would like to hear people's opinion on. Because mm-hmm. I remember when it was shown at Cannes earlier in the year, like every single review was like five-star masterpiece. Yeah. Like, people, like minutes long applause. Then the closer it's come to release I've seen opinions more and more tempered mm-hmm. like our review I think Jim gave it a 7.8 yeah. which is more in line with me I'd give it like yeah 7 or an 8 that mm. sort of I think feeling. I might be an outlier on how much I dislike it but also it's worth pointing out like I I find true crime fascinating I'm not very comfortable with the fetishization of it that I found yeah, yeah, yeah. like I, I'm sure the podcast is very good, but I don't get on with the idea that there's literally a podcast that's called My Favourite Murder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I find that... And, you know, this whole thing of Sharon Tate is in this film, and but she's she's not really a character. She's just sort of, like, watched through the film, mm-hmm. and despite the fact she's in scenes. I very much feel like I would have, like... If I get that it's an important part of the coming to the end of Golden Age Hollywood, I would have done it in the same way. You know how I was in Mad Men when, like, JFK got murdered it was in the papers and people were reacting to it but mm. it wasn't a thing that was in an episode of Mad Men yeah, yeah it yeah. was just this thing that was happening to the time I'd much rather have had that but it's that's not a Tarantino film so no. I get why it's not mm. it's interesting uh, there you go I'm 
intrigued, to say the very least. Ooh, do you know what I'm intrigued about, Joe? Go on. Monster Hunter Iceborne. Ooh. I say that. I don't really care that much. Um, <laughs> and you're saying that, I played segue. 15, 20 hours of Monster Hunter when it came out. Yeah. And I, I was enjoying it, but then I reached that wall of... I've come across a monster here that I don't know how to beat and I can't be bothered to grind. You had un- unfortunately also chosen bow, which is, yes, a, which is a very terrible weapon. Mu- very multiplayer focused weapon, yeah. which they don't tell you because Monster Hunter's insane. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah. tell us about Iceborne. Iceborne is fucking hard. <laughs> um, if you think Iceborne is an expansion designed to get more people to buy Monster Hunter, Mm. Think again, baby. Uh, it is an expansion designed for people who are still playing Monster Hunter. You have to be Hunter rank 16 to even access it, which is pretty high. Do they have like the Witcher thing of you can automatically level you, up to that? Oh, so you have to you, finish the main you game. You have to be, you basically have to, yeah, you're, I think you have to be, I can't remember. I've, it's been a while since I played, but I can't remember what Hunter rank 16 would imply. But I would say you'd have to be a fair way into high rank at least to do that, which is post, like that's technically post-game or post-campaign content, which is nuts. Um, I mean, in the grand scheme of Monster Hunter, it it isn't. It's kind of hard because World is this moment that's kind of gone like, oh, Monster Hunter's for everyone now, and it's the best-selling game in Capcom history and all this stuff. But they are... I think it was Eurogamer described it as like a kind of folded arms, like, stubbornness. And I really like that description because it is Capcom going, you like Monster Hunter, but you're going to like it on our terms. And that is... Does, deal um, with it. Monster Hunter have that thing of, say I'm only level 8, if I join your party, does it rank me up so I can play with you? It doesn't. You are what I'm you are. I'm just underleveled. Um, but I yeah. can play it? Yeah, you can okay. play it. Um, I don't know about Iceborne. I don't know how the yeah. cross element would mm-hmm. work. My guess is you have to own the expansion. Yeah, that's actually... I should look into that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's probably out there. Um, but So I got to play three to four hours of it the other day from the beginning um it's the most like they've committed to a story i think since the very opening of that game so there's a real like there's a new migration to a new part of the world and uh all the characters are trying to work out what's going on yeah. there seems to be backstories for certain characters that haven't had well, anything to do it's before an expansion, but it's pretty much a new game isn't it from, they, they do like this lengthy, quite, yeah it? when they do so they they what they usually do is they release the games in Japan and then about a year later they release what's called a G version in Japan which adds like a G rank which is super high rank so in this they call it master rank and it's essentially the same thing um so you have hunter rank normal high rank then normally it's G rank and now it's master rank and in the UK what they usually or in Europe and the US what they usually do is we get the G version of the game this is one of the first times it's been like no have the base game like mm-hmm. and now this expansion is kind of their G rank so it's like here's a whole huge section of stuff they're count they're kind of retrofitting a lot of stuff so you get new monsters in existing areas subspecies of monsters and this kind of stuff fuck me some of those are hard there's one there, in the base game there's a thing called a Toby Kadachi which is like a sort of lizard flying squirrel electric yeah. thing in this it's called Viper Toby Kadachi <laughs> it can fire poison spikes from its tail and it can paralyse you with its mouth so it's basically a double ended fucker and uh, are you doing this awful. by yourself as well not in a team? I did this by myself luckily I'm sick so it's fine <laughs> um, but but they've got some awesome new monsters in there as well one of my favourite ever monsters was in uh, oh fucking hell Ultima I think it was which was 
think it was called Zamtrios. It was like a big fat shark. <laughs> and they've got a version of that called Beatodus, which is a shark that can swim through snow. But it's got little legs and the basic kind of fight pattern, if you're going to do it as quick as possible, is to get it to come out of the snow by firing sonic bullets at it. And then it falls out and you just smash its little legs up. <laughs> it's really weird. I love it. Is there anything new mechanic or is it basically the same game in a basically new area? basically the same. They've added a thing called the, the clutch claw, which is, you know, you have the slinger in the yeah. base game, which is kind of what you'd expect it to be. Now there's like an extra like grappling hook claw which means almost any character can mount a monster instantly, unlike the base game where you kind of have to... Most classes have to jump onto it. Oh, yeah. In this, the Clutch Claw is weird because you mount it, but then you have a whole separate set of moves on top of it. So you can mount it normally, or you can mount it with the Clutch Claw. And the Clutch Claw does... You can either soften pieces of it. So it's like, if you need to smash its horns off, you climb onto its horns and smash them up. And then they're easier to break off. Or you can do mad stuff like you're essentially piloting the monster so you can make it turn by slicing at it and it just turns in one direction. Or you can make it like enrage it so it just runs forward and smashes its face into a wall or falls off a cliff, which is really weird, but really funny. Um, That's what I did enjoy about Monster Hunter, that you weren't just fighting monsters that just had a health bar and you just slash and block, that where you attack it and what you choose to do does genuinely affect how it moves and how it... Yeah, and you can disable certain moves. So like that Viper Kadachi, you can smash its tail up so the spines fall off and Mm -hmm. it can't poison you, or it can smash its teeth out and it can't paralyze you anymore. Like it is... It's, it's def- horrible. <laughs> it's definitely on that list of games, like the Souls games, that I appreciate much more than I enjoy playing. Yeah. Um, that's gonna, and I think even for players who've been playing Monster Hunter World, I think Iceborne is going to be that for a lot of people, where mm-hmm. they'll be like, "I'm out." I saw people at the preview event I went to, mm. like literally failing for two hours to get past the first fight, and that's not a yeah. slight on them. It is so hard. <laughs> um, do you think it's too hard? No, I love it. Okay. Because, but the problem is that it needs to be messaged right, and I don't know whether they are doing that. Mm. Because it is G-rank. Like, this is meant to be the hardest cha- set of challenges in the game. Yeah. So you have to go in with that mindset. And the fact that it's giving you a whole new, like, area to explore and a whole new hub base with, like, lots of quality like quality of life improvements, making a lot of stuff a lot easier, mm-hmm. To pre- like, is just to go, we're making that simpler because you are going to get stuck on the game. And that's the deal. Mm. And so you kind of have to deal with that if you want to enjoy it. Did you play any Monster Hunter? I've, I have played some Monster Hunter. I do, I, so I really, this was my first Monster Hunter and I do really, really like it. Um, I'm not the best just because I think it's one of these games where, A, I think if you've got a history in it, you already come in understanding what it is. It's very, very Japanese, so it doesn't tell you anything. Yep. But like, I, I'm sort of, how many world, how many locations are there in the first base uh, game? I think it's Five or six. Right, so I've done the first three. Yeah. Um, so I've had a pretty good time with it, but it's one of those, clearly I'm not anywhere near the point I need to be to go into Iceborne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it might be that Iceborne encourages me to complete what I've done mm. and probably do quite a lot more yeah, to get in. probably. And probably by the time I've got there, I'll be not interested anymore. <laughs> There'll be something else that's come out. However, I've got a lot of appreciation. In the same way that, like, I really, really like Bloodborne. It's like Bloodborne is up in my top three games of all time, I think. So it's got that similar yeah. element to it. Um, yeah, it's this is an expansion that is actually in an old school style type of thing in terms of like you can't play this unless you're there, right? It's not like 
it yeah. becomes open to you and you can go in and you're just going to get beaten over and over and over. Yeah, you literally have to reach a rank to yeah. even open the content that you've bought. Which I like, appreciate because I know that like obviously it needs to have marketing that emphasizes that don't buy this unless you're there. Yeah. But kind of like there is a, a thing I like. I'm from a, you know, an not that I'm from an era as in like I'm a dinosaur, but I remember being younger and buying expansion packs that I that you, I played because I'd finished the original yeah, yeah, game. Yeah. It wasn't that it added stuff on the side or anything like mm. that, which I think we've got quite used to. This is a traditionalist sort of approach, and I kind of like that because we don't see that so yeah. much. And like, I think it's super... Like, If you suddenly decided to get into Monster Hunter World and you were willing to put up with needing to do 50 mm. hours to get to this, but if you bought this as a package, the idea that you play a full game, like a giant game, and then at the end of that, here's brand new stuff. Like, it's not takes on what you've already fought. Like, it's brand new area, brand new monsters, brand new story. Like, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. kind of amazing. Like, yeah. That's a yeah. huge amount of work. And and I really like it. They've said that this is it for Monster Hunter World now. They're so, not continuing to yeah, expand so on So I it. asked them at E3 and said, what's the deal? Like, is Monster Hunter World literally your world of Monster Hunter now? Do you Are you just going to build pieces on it? Like, no. <laughs> We're no. just going to make a new game. Um, yeah. Which I'm kind of into because... I love them making new well, stuff. They, yeah, they can't just keep adding on. It's like, well, you want to play this new monster, you have to be level 72 now. Well, yeah, but, like, <laughs> but then, like, but Destiny's me, not far I from suppose, that. Like, there yeah. are moats of light is a thing, and you can you can get up to the mm-hmm. right level. But mm. you wouldn't put I wouldn't put it past them. It's been built like a service game. They've been delivering like a service game. I, I wouldn't have been surprised if they were like, this is it for five, ten years. This yeah. is Monster Hunter on console. Um, but I, th- I get the impression that they know if they release Monster Hunter World 2, whatever it's called, for new, next gen, they'll probably beat all their records again, which mm. would be amazing. I'd be super into it. Mm. So, From one Japanese game series mm-hmm. that I've played one game in, mm-hmm. from now one where, Matt, you have now... Is this your first Fire this Emblem? This is my first Fire Emblem. We're on to Fire Emblem. Yeah. There we go. God, this is my sort of shit. <laughs> I'm aware that I say this is my sort of shit for a lot of things. I have a broad collection you of like, interests. You like Cheese and Tri of Crisps? Yeah. You like Marvel. Yeah. And you like monsters. What you've played of Fire Emblem. Uh, yeah. So so the reason why it is my sort of thing is it's basically it is so I love turn based tactical stuff, which should be obvious from the amount I talk about, you know, stuff like Warhammer, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, all of that. But this is very XCOM y. Mm. Love XCOM. But it's bolted on to sort of what is a sort of social system that's bought a guest from Persona, which so is how you originally this described This is the part it, that's interesting me, because I've never played a Fire mm-hmm. Emblem. I've always kind of liked the look of them. I just never... I didn't have a 3DS, so I, mm. I wanted to play yeah. last night. I just never had a 3DS. Yeah, I'm um, in a similar boat. And, yeah, the Persona elements that I've been hearing is what's got me intrigued in this. So Although I hear it's kind of Persona-like. It, it's not as deep yeah. by any means, but what it does do is it means that me and my two other friends that I played a lot of Persona with and used to sort of live with a few years ago, um, it, we all get very, very excited about who is who is new best girl, who is new <laughs> best boy. It is that sort of game. We've all got rankings for who you know we want. We want. These are all school children, right? Shut up, <laughs> But you're a teen in it as well. Yeah, yeah. You are effectively a... This and there's is... not fucking in it, so don't worry. Yeah. Oh, well, There was it. in the old Fire Emblems, but they were adults in that one. Oh, so. I'll go back and play those then. Yeah, Play Awakening is mm-hmm. an absolute banger, by the way. Mm. So, literally. <laughs> Can't they just put that on Switch? I would love them to. It's yeah. very good. But Do anyway. You know, how hard yeah. is it? Put it on. Yeah. Well, anyway, not? the whole thing is, is it's got like... A, 
it's got a very Harry Potter sort of vibe. Imagine if Persona wasn't set in a modern school. It was set in Hogwarts. There are owls flying around. There's nice cute dogs and cats you can go and speak to. There are common rooms for each of the three houses, which is what the game is sort of... Uh, certainly at the stage I'm at is yeah. sort of built around. Mm-hmm. You you start going to this school that is a school to train children to fight wars because that's something we do. The Japan's very, very good at that. So it's three houses within this one school. It's not three different schools. So the school is at the centre of this continent that is made up of three kingdoms. Technically, one of them is an alliance and one is an empire. (laughs) By the by. Um, And the idea is that the school is sort of a united element. These kingdoms aren't at war. Okay. Uh, They're like, there's tensions and there's border trouble and you occasionally get involved in that shit. Mm -hmm. But they are ultimately at peace and this school is like the sort of the pin that holds all three together it's kind of the UK then Scotland Wales Ireland yeah England and <laughs> what, what's our school that unites all of them um, national the EU but that's going yeah we're <laughs> fucked um, but yeah so the idea is that all the nobles or like the important people from those kingdoms send their kids to this school mm-hmm. um Depending on the place you're from, some are nobles and some are commoners, and that lends some of the most interesting social dynamics to the game. <laughs> so which uh, house are you aligning so with? So I am part Alliance? of the Black Eagles, which represents the Adrestian Empire. Imperialist scum! Yeah. <laughs> See, this dirtbag over what here is from I know the commoners. There's red, yellow, and blue. So That's red. all I know at the moment. He's red. So, so red. I'm yellow. Hmm. Yellow's the worst colour. So you're the Lib Dems. Technically, they're the golden deer, so mm-hmm. I'm gold. Okay. Um, interesting. Uh, I'm the Leicester Alliance. We've already talked about this. I'm led by Claude, yeah. and I thought, I'm a socialist. I thought they were lovely. the blue ones. That, oh no, no. So the are blues the blue are they're, they're blue the, lion can fuck no. off. Yeah. I might be them just to piss they you have, off. They have they have all the they, they've got not all the but they've got a collection of some of the weaker so mm. not, at least aesthetic characters. So the most Tory house yeah. there is. So before I start <laughs> playing it, how mm. much does your choice of alliance? affect the game is it more story or is it more gameplay focused story i think initially gameplay and then i think increasingly story okay um the impression i get so brendan who's who did our review Hmm. has said like the way that the story goes which we only have vague hints of and i haven't reached the kind of major turning point is like it could be like f- could feasibly be wildly different depending mm. on your house because I think you end up going to their country, so like that's completely different settings and sets yeah. of characters and presumably missions. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Like it is like your choice of house initially is just your lineup, and those lineups are built to be fairly balanced armies, but with certain specialisations. So, like, Golden Deer is meant to be good at archery. I just have two archers instead of one, I think. Yeah. Like, that kind of thing. So it's kind of... Is it similar to choosing your starting Pokemon in Pokemon? Yeah. I guess there's or a similarity to it. And part of it is, is, like... Imagine choosing a starting party okay. of Pokemon. Yeah. And those people like actually have personal... Like, Pikachu, I guess, does have a personality, but it's not, like... Claude, Claude is like a real nice guy. He's got like a, an element of cheek to him, whereas Edelgard, who's my sort of leader, she's a little bit more up herself. She she sort of knows what she wants. And it's kind of those are the things that pull you in. And you're constantly talking to these people all the time. And like there are 
what's called support which is where you get to have people like interact with each other and boost each other up you can put people like into like obviously you you actually play their teacher that's the important thing so Byleth, who's your main character is a teacher at this school so you get to instruct them help them achieve their goals sort of work as a guidance counselor as well like there's like an agony on element to it where you just get really weird you you get in (laughs) sense sort of like i don't know what to do when i've got cold tea what should i do Put in the microwave. Well, I mean, not sorcery, mate. Yeah, exactly. Sorcery. Um, so there's all those kind of daftness elements to it, but obviously you are everything funnels into the strategic battles, which are kind of a an XCOMI grid based system. Where unfortunately, for how good the character designs are, the actual um, mission uh, level designs are really, really bland. It's gross. It looks yeah. so bad. Is it, a, is it harder, or would you say is it a tough game, or is, are you yeah, failing a lot in missions? Uh, it's purposely tough. Okay. Like, you, your characters... Like, the, the AI does a clever thing where it, its primary goal is to kill the weakest character in their range at all times. Mm-hmm. So you can move, like, six people into advan- advantageous situations and the computer just wants to kill one of them. So yeah. if it's got three people who can attack one, they will do that. Yeah. So it just fucks you so as you much often, as possible. Maybe not often, that's unfair, but in turn-based games, you can often question the... CPU be like, why are you attacking? Well, exactly. What is your so logic? This, this one kind of bypasses. Like, it's fundamentally kind of dumb AI. Like, mm. if you were doing a real battle situation and didn't want to lose your units, you wouldn't act the way it does. But it's designed to constantly put you on the back foot if it can, which I kind of like. Mm-hmm. Like, it's transparent but transparently difficult, which I think is fun. Mm. So you just have to cope. Yeah. I'm still learning the. There's a lot, uh, as is with so many uh, Japanese games of this sort of lineage, there's a lot to learn. It teaches you at a very, very slow pace. Like mm. every battle, there might be one tool tip that it gives you. You and, don't feel lost not having played a Fire Emblem before? It's, it's not. Yeah. So I don't feel lost because it it's from. It's effectively using two games that I sort of understand. I understand how to play a turn-based tactics game and I understand how to play Persona, right? Mm. So it has those sort of elements. But it's kind of like. There's there's sort of like a tag teaming, sorry, like a, a back and forth between your your soldiers. So you'll send one in and you'll attack, but the enemy then immediately gets an attack back at you. Sometimes your characters will attack once the enemy attacks, and then they get a second strike, and that's how they commit their damage. I still don't know the ins and outs of that situation. And before you commit to an attack, the sort of like, am I right, Joe? Is the thing that comes up is that almost like a battle predictions board? Yeah, but it's almost always correct. Right. Um, like the hit mm-hmm. ratio is always correct. The amount of damage you'll do is always correct, barring critical hits. Like yeah. so, it it's essentially foreseeing what you're about to do for you, minus the chance of missing or getting a yeah. critical hit. Mm-hmm. So like you get dice rolls on extraneous elements. Yeah. So you've um, got all of this to take into consideration. Then you've got. Um, like your weapons degrade so not like how i mean sort of like zelda but in turn-based situations but you can use what i would traditionally call like a limit break style attack where you get to use a lot more of the durability of the weapon to do attacks that can quite often mean that the enemy can't attack you back or stuff like that Mm -hmm. you've then got you attach battalions of people to each your hero characters so when you 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 zoom in you get to see them surrounded by all of these cool brawlers or soldiers or knights and stuff like that um they boost kind of your character stats but also allow you to use a gambit system right which are different tactics to kind of move you can either push kind of enemy characters around you can pretty much pummel them to death you can deny them certain things so there's a lot to learn and those obviously have 
dozens of stats that are related to them. It is very, very deep in the way that Japanese games are. Um, I want to spend quite a lot of this weekend watching tutorial videos from YouTubers to figure out exactly how to play this perfectly because I can see it being one of those games that you get like 20 hours in and realize you've fucked it so badly <laughs> that all you want to do is restart. I have to say, in terms of Fire Emblem, as long as you're not... Are you playing on Classic so your character so can So I'm playing normal Classic, yeah. yeah. Um, so you... Unless all your characters die and you and you let it happen, you'll probably be fine right. later on. Like it's it's forgiving in as much as, particularly on normal, because you can do the practice battles and there are practice battles that let you level up, but you can do them as many times as yes. you like. Like mm -hmm. it builds in a potential grind. If you're playing normal hard, it doesn't let you do that, and right. that's where you can kill yourself later mm -hmm. on. So it's kind it's fairly forgiving in as much as you can get stuck and have a way out. Yeah, um, which is good. Cool. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I like it a lot, basically, is what yeah. I'm saying. Uh, Petra is best. Yeah, Petra yeah. is pretty yeah. great. She's like a, a tattooed warrior lady from an island nation that doesn't speak English. Um, mm. So she's learning English. It's slightly odd that she has an American accent. And so yeah. the voice actress is just saying broken English, but in a perfect mm. American However, accent. I have, I have spoken to uh, someone who is playing the Japanese version, because mm. she speaks Japanese, says very authentic broken Japanese accent. That's good. So there we go. Someone's uh, got it good. Uh, my best is Marianne. So yeah, she does. She's I think great. I'm going to poach her because she's only. Is she from the blue? No, she's no, got, she's is golden, she gold deer. Yeah, sledge. That uh, I quite like Ferdinand, even though he's a shit as well. Uh, yeah, I've got. So I've got one of those. There's a guy called Lorenz. Yes, and Lorenz. He's a shit. Yeah, he's like this like witch faced dickhead <laughs> who thinks everyone who's common is useless. Um, but. His whole storyline seems to be around him realizing that being like that is really bad. Oh, that's nice. So the more you play with him, the more he becomes like not an asshole, which is oh, quite so satisfying. I didn't quite realize that there was necessarily going to be those type of character arcs for each it's one more, of them. So it's less that it's inbuilt and more it's built into the support stuff. Yeah. So it's like mm -hmm. he with the common characters, like his first one is always because it, it's weird. The support conversations are meant to be them getting to be better friends. Yeah. But. The level C stuff, so like the bottom level of becoming friends with someone, almost always is like some horrible interaction <laughs> where it all goes wrong. Every one of Lawrence's is him meeting a common person and being like, go and clean my stables. And then being like, <laughs> fuck you. And that's the end. And then it's like, their support level has grown. <laughs> what? Really? There's that's a similar so thing for for uh, like Edelgard's team. Um, one of them is Dorothea, who is, she's amazing, but she's a commoner stuck in a group of fucking snotty lords and stuff like that and all of her interactions are basically her roasting everyone alive because like well you don't you, you just got here by privilege and I actually had to work to get here is she mm. the one with the hat yeah, yeah she's got she's a very right. good hat mm. something else good. that plays on class divides and privilege here we the go. boys yes the elite superheroes are not what they seem ugh Oh, I am yet to watch any of the Amazon series, but mm -hmm. I did read the first volume of The Boys, which I kind of enjoyed. Unfortunate. Yeah, I, I have that. It's that a typical Ennis thing that a lot of people have that I, I kind of enjoy what he's going for, but I just do find it a bit too gratuitous. Yeah, so I've read quite a lot of Ennis and genuinely do quite like what he's going for. Like, I've read all of Preacher and think Preacher is holistically a good comic it's just there is, in the moments oh it, there's some moments in preacher and it's not just the it's not actually some of the violence can be quite funny there's yeah there's just the social politics he's a conflicted man let's he, say he hates homosexual people <laughs> let's not be around the bush um thankfully none of that is apparent in the boys they or the preacher all the tv series out. you're both enjoying it quite a lot i finished it it's oh. i think it's good okay. i don't think it's brilliant 
Um, do you prefer it to Preacher? <sighs> I quite like... Because I was I think bored that, by Preacher. I know. I, I, think I'm, I think I like Preacher most out of all of us. I find it kind of comfort foody in that, like, I'll always be doing something else while I'm watching it. So mm-hmm. even when it's slow, it doesn't bother me. And then Joseph Gilgan comes on and I watch him for a while because mm. he's great. Um, I think The Boys is more consistently entertaining than Preacher. I think a lot of the characterization is worse. So some, something actually happens over the course of the whole Yeah, season. exactly. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I just, I find a lot of the characters slightly dull or like tropey, and that's obviously mm. the point for some well, of them, but some others I'm not. I'm yet to experience it for myself, but I've heard Carl, Urban, uh, Carl Urban's accent is something it to behold. Is one of the worst accents <laughs> I've heard on TV f- for actual years. How does it compare to Football Day in Green Street? Oh, it's... Him and Charlie Hunnam should have a little fight <laughs> over who gets to be the worst Cockney in the world. Because the problem, at least with Charlie Hunnam, like his accent's entertainingly bad. Like, it, it, have you seen Green Street? I have not. Oh my Bees god! Money. There's there, there's uh, just the best. This goes to everyone listening. There is the greatest supercut of bad Cockney you've ever heard. Just look for Green Green Street Charlie Hunnam accent. Oh my god! Oh, it's so good. Um, <laughs> The, the greatest one being the thing that I post on the first day of every Premier League season, right. which is a clip of him saying, Oh, come on. It's football day. <laughs> Let's have some fun. It's football day. But Carl Urban's accent is just... Wrong? He's just a New Zealander doing a bad... Like, it's, so, it's so this like is a the joke. Thing. I didn't realise yeah. for quite a while into that he was doing the Cockney accent because I just thought he was doing, like, menacing New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we... I think we had this chat of why... What, why just there's no reason just for it use your accent like this weird thing of if a program is set somewhere this one isn't even set there is it as far as I know it's not set in London is it the boys no no, 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 no. like this thing that every because Green Street's in London he has to have a London accent it's like people do move house yeah. like you can come from somewhere else but it and makes, live somewhere it would make more sense I mean Green Street at least like he's a Millwall fan he's yeah. probably you're not going to support Millwall if you're not from Millwall let's face <laughs> it um, but if you do write in I but like, the weird thing about this is Huey in the comics is Scottish yeah so but he's American in this so why does Carl Urban not just say he's a New Zealand boy did he just want to do it he just wanted to have a laugh I don't know it's mad <laughs> Just be he's not again. a bad actor. <laughs> he does a good American accent as yeah. well. Like, he's also he's he's a good butcher. He's just yeah. not good at his accent. It's very weird. <laughs> the other thing that we haven't we haven't actually explained what this show is. Nah, <laughs> nah we don't need that. If anybody doesn't know, The Boys is basically a uh, so it's a Garth Ennis comic that is about um, superheroes and about the fact that they're massively self indulgent bastards. And The Boys are in the comics a collection of. Um, Vigilantes that work for the CIA that effectively are there to keep superheroes in check. Mm. The The TV show is slightly different in that the boys are just vigilantes. They don't really answer to anyone. They just mm-hmm. fucking hate superheroes. Um, but the interesting thing about the superheroes in uh, the TV show version of the boys is that they are owned basically by a massive television broadcasting corporation. Um, the, so superheroes are part of... Um, global sort of corporation work in that they're not just there to save the world they are there to star in movies they are there for tv shows they are basically pop stars Mm. and that comes with all of the self-grandiose elements that that does they're all fucking on drugs they are all horrendously self-indulgent 
awful, awful people. They're influencers. Yes, basically. <laughs> they, there's not, no one has their own YouTube in that, do they? They should have had no. one that's just a mad YouTuber. That's a good point. Um, but yeah, so it's, it, it's kind of... And I find there's... It is not a nuanced show in the slightest yeah. with its social commentary. I don't think it should be. I think if, like, no, superheroes right. don't have to be nuanced. The whole point is that they tell sort of societal mm. tales yeah. in larger-than-life ways. So I quite like that a huge part of it is is Starlight is a new uh, member of the Seven, which is like the Justice League Avengers mm. thing. And she has her Me Too story, yeah. basically, where... Like, she has to deal with the fact that there's a lot of sexism in, in superhero society. It's not nuanced in the slightest. I quite like that it's just going... Like, it doesn't... To be more nuanced, but almost to be, like, sidestepping the issue. Yeah. Like, it is... Uh, this is an odd term, but to me it was, like, appropriately disgusting. Yeah. Because it makes you hate. It makes you so angry. And... That is the point. I mean, yeah. the key is, as well is to the public, the seven are Wonderful. superheroes yeah. you see, like yeah. Marvel esque heroes. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. but yeah, but there, but the, it would be trans. Like, there is an element. People in that world know that their superheroes are corporatized. They mm. know that they're owned and operated. It's just they don't know their dark, the darkness behind them. So yeah. it's kind of a midpoint. Like in the Avengers, we don't get a sense of like Captain America is publicly known as working for shield and working to guidelines and stuff as he is yeah. for a bit of those movies so that's kind of the interesting thing and like it tackles lots of really interesting stuff like evangelical christianity is a thing and like and this idea that all the superheroes are christian mm -hmm. and all the superheroes are american and it, this is almost part of my the downside of the, the boys to me is I know it wouldn't work, but I almost want like a whole series before this series of just here's this world as it was, like here's the status quo, and you see some of the darkness of it, and you also see their day to day and like the the like ins and outs of crime fighting to quotas and stuff yeah. like that. See, this. I like that because actually, because the boys, as the title suggests, is actually about this vigilante group that's trying to basically take down superheroes. Mm. I and maybe it's just because I love superhero fiction, but I find the superheroes themselves are the more compelling side of yeah, this. Absolutely, I find the idea of like you say having to meet quotas, having to you know you can't just go out and be a hero. You have your obligations to your fans. You need to be on stage at this point. You need to star in this movie. Mm. You know we're we're building. They, literally, there is an episode in which they talk about building the cinematic universe around the Seven and stuff like that. I find that interesting, and the way that kind of one of their aims is to try and get superheroes as part of the military. Yeah, uh, and all of this kind of comes into. I sort of think it's a bit of a certainly the television aspect um, of it, rather than the comic. Is it sort of a modern day Watchmen? In that Watchmen yeah. was all about how. Well, not all about, but a part of Watchmen that I found fascinating is that a lot of those people become superheroes because it is a legal way to beat the shit out of people, mm. and that's all they're interested in. The way that this is, it's like you can join a corporation, you can wear a suit, and you just get to go out and be an asshole, and no one's really going to hold you accountable mm. as long as you meet your viewing schedule, basically. That I find really, really mm. interesting because it's about the corruption of power just in cool suits. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. I'm looking forward to giving it a go. It's good, man. Do. Do you know us has found a legal way of beating the shit out of people for a living? Go Jason Statham. Oh, he has. And in Hobbs and Shaw, tell me, Matt, you've seen this film. Uh -huh. I'm guessing he beats the shit out of someone. He he does. He beats the shit out of several people. <laughs> um, as is, as is, you know, you would do if you're Agent Shaw from whatever agency <laughs> he is. You know, it's... 
Um, I don't have a huge amount of love for Fast and Furious. I've watched the first and the last ones of that series. What? Yeah, I've not not watched a lot of them. Um, but I'll tell you what, there was something that is it's Fate of the Furious, isn't it? Is the last one or Fast and Furious? Eight, I lost track. I think I watched the first three or four, mm-hmm. but at least in chronological order, not just sure, the first yeah. one and the last one. I don't know. I went, you know. You've missed so much nuance I in know, between. right? Clearly. The thing that I remember quite enjoying about Fate was that it's it's just balls out stupid. There was a sequence in it in which there are zombie cars. In which, like, they, like so Charlie Sperron hacks the sat-navs of, like, hundreds of cars and just has them driving through the streets. And it's almost like a 28 days later, just a, an onslaught of dead cars, basically, with no drivers it in it. It does sound really good. It's really, <laughs> it's really, really fun. It's got invented. There's a bit with a giant, you know, mm. uh, with a submarine that's been bought up out of the, the ocean mm. through ice panels and but stuff like that. But this spin-off, Hobson Shaw, it's... Less of a car film, isn't it? It's in, yeah, it's more trying to be almost like a Mission Impossible. Sort it is, of film. yeah, and I think because of that, it actually loses quite a lot of what I enjoyed about that other film. Is that it's not got a huge amount of visual identity to it. It's not got really inventive set pieces or anything like that. It is just a lot of big blokes. Yeah, the it's, shit out of it's, it's, as you say, it's a mission. The, the whole sort of story relates around the whole idea of um, so Hobbs and Shaw were kind of. Not necessarily enemies in the last one, but they were kind of... They definitely didn't like each other. Mm. This is the film where they are forced to work together because they need both sides of the Atlantic to help out on this thing, which involves basically the capture of a bioweapon. Idris Um, Elba's being a nasty bastard. Idris Elba's after it. Um, He is a cybernetically and genetically enhanced super soldier. almost... Going I mean, into superhero territory now with these yeah, films. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is basically Idris Elba in real life. Oh, yeah, he yeah. He is genetically beautiful. And having now met <laughs> I got to meet Idris Elba as part of the junket for this. He's a very nice man. He's, is he? Yeah, he's oh, lovely. that's good. And what's yeah. his character called again? Uh, Brixton Law. <laughs> yeah, we need to... Uh, is he from London? This is some, this is some serious deep IGN UK podcast lore but I really want to bring back the one-off quiz Kate Yeager's action name uh, which was just can you guess if I've made up this action star's name or not Brixton yeah. lore yeah there is no there is no suggestion that he's from Brixton he's definitely from England though mm. and he's definitely a London and boy his, I think his best mate Camden Myth <laughs> <laughs> That's a spin. So one of the things that he said to me in the junket was that he'd really like to do a film exploring like his because when he comes in, he is a fully creative villain. You know, mm. there's no backstory to him really or anything like that. He wants to make a film where it's his backstory. Get Camden Myth in. Yeah, let's let's start that as a rivalry. <laughs> I'd, I would like like his nerdy sidekick Penge History. <laughs> <laughs> The Robber Hive Rebel. <laughs> uh, Lambeth Legend. This is, this is good shit. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so effectively it's them uh, trying to make sure that he doesn't have this bioweapon. Part of it is that um, Shaw's sister is involved, who is played by Vanessa Kirby. Um, she's an MI6 agent. Um, and she, it's, She's in Fallout, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. She's playing the same characters. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, it is the inferior version to Mission Impossible Fallout. Okay, mm. so if you're thinking of seeing Hobson Shaw, it's fine, but it's go fine, watch Mission yeah. Impossible Fallout. Yeah, it's that thing is kind of like Mission Impossible Fallout. You know how like the blows land in Fallout and like mm. that bit where they're fighting in the toilets? Oh, so right. good. That is like something from an Eastern film because of how heavy the blows land. Like when you're, mm. I know that you know people make fun of the reloading fists cavil sequence. <laughs> well, it reloads but, his beard. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's such a weird shot. <laughs> but the way that, like, there's a real feeling of heft and danger to that scene. There's none of that to this. Mm. It's very, and also kind of like, 
without spoiling it, there is obviously a bit where both Hobbs and Shaw fight Brixton Law. No. Would you believe it? But, like, there has been a bar set for that two-on-one in terms of Civil War. The way that that fight scene between Bucky, Cap, and Iron Man goes down and the fluidness to it Mm. and the way it's all so fast that you basically have to watch that scene seven times to capture every single moment in it. Um, It's... That's really cool. Their fight is not. It's mm. just kind of... It feels like an action film that might have been made 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just not as refined as what we get now. Mm. And that's why it is... So, we officially, I think, gave it a 7. I'd probably give it a smidgen below. It was fine. It was a good time. But I'm never going to watch it again. Oh. Very fair. Do you know what's fine and a good time? The Endless But search. might never happen again. <gasps> Come on. No, nah, it will. Okay. Inside. It's a UK IGN crew. Yeah, 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 and ones and twos. We got the games gonna play for you inside. I got a question for you. Hold tight, the DJ, we're coming through. Yeah, yeah, and ones and twos. We got the games gonna play for you inside. I got a question for you. Is it in the search? Joe, what you got? I've got a brand new game. What I made up today called Amazon Reviews Roundup. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a working title? Don't know. Probably, probably won't do it again. Took me ages to make. Oh. <laughs> We're really late. It's lunchtime now. I've is ruined it. it. it oh, no. Uh, We're delaying lunch by half an hour official. Yes, we are. Uh, this is a game in which I take five movies and I look at their Amazon movie reviews. And you have to guess what the movies are based on those reviews. The twist being that the most difficult is a one-star review and the easiest is a five-star review. And you get, in whatever the order is, descending or ascending, points... According to the review you, you get, you really it on. did. Let, this is why it took you so long to find this because you had to find a one-star reviews that were hard and got increasingly <laughs> easier. Per oh, it star. Is a, actually kind of does lend itself to okay. that. But we'll we'll give it a go. There we'll was, a, there was a great example of an Amazon review. Uh, I oh, don't know yeah. if you're gonna if that's in the game. It's not in the game. Uh, but it just it made you laugh very loud. I laughed a lot at a lot of this because if you don't know, Amazon reviews are fucking rubbish. <laughs> um, but one of them was just for a film that will come up later. Kept the wife quiet. <laughs> Three stars. Is, yeah, which is horrible. Yeah. Uh, I've also included in each one, uh, at the end, a most insane comment. <laughs> and if you can guess what it is, you get 100 points. <laughs> a most, what, I have to guess what the comment is. Yeah. That's why it won't work. <laughs> Imagine. The one star review for our first film. I'm doing title and review. And these often are just the random are films not linked at all? There is a link at the end. Ooh. Uh, not for any points, just for fun. Ah, this isn't life. Uh, so the title of this review is American Pie was a lot better. And the comment is American Pie was a lot better. <laughs> um, Presumably it's a comedy then. In Super the... bad. No. I'm trying to think of an American... This is the thing. It's like, going to be he completely. Could just, he could just com- decide that American Pie is his favourite film. It's going to be film, completely. Un- it's going to be something a bit obscure, like Mystic Pizza. He's it's gone not for a Mystic obscure. Pizza. He's <laughs> gone for a food link. Super size me. No. <laughs> Should we? Um, never mind. We'll just carry it. Ramp it up. Two stars. Title: Disappointing. I was attracted to this DVD by the list of outstanding performers, but they are all submerged in a script and plot which descends into juvenility. Mm. It descends mm. into juvenility, so it's a film that starts out relatively Pineapple serious. Express? No. Oh, that would have been a good shout, though. Just mm. descend into enjoyable juvenility. <laughs> mm. No guess? No. Three stars. Quite entertaining. 
Funny, with some great one-liners, especially the one about Judge Judy. Not everyone's taste in comedy, I suspect. Ooh. I think it would be more pleasing to the younger age group. Is this Hot Fuzz? It is uh, Hot Fuzz. Do it, studio executioner. <laughs> yeah. Uh. I'll keep going through. Two stars. Good show. <laughs> Extremely funny picture of provincial England. <laughs> and one, a living delight. <laughs> a genuine classic and gets better with age. Something I was surprised at because I can't stand Simon, my best friend is Tom Cruise, peg. He's up his own bottom thinking he's funny and spoiling the Mission Impossible films. Kill him off, please, Tom. <laughs> better than American Pie. Uh, oh, no, American Pie was better. American Pie what? was a lot better. How does that relate? Are we getting it from that? Uh, so that's three points to Matt. Can either of you guess what the most insane comment was? Oh, I thought it was the Tom Cruise one. <laughs> no. No. I don't know why um, you would. Gardens are nice. That's no. it. Non-comedy, Simon Pegg is Simon Pegg with a gun. Pegg and his wife, Frost, bungle and gun their way through an action-alleged comedy until the end of the film. Then the audience breathes a sigh of relief. I mean, if I'd got that verbatim, it could only have meant I wrote it. <laughs> I love Pegg and his wife. <laughs> that was Hot Fuzz. Film two. One star. Tedious. <laughs> Tedious and overacted American fluff. Bored rigid after five minutes. Sorry if you like it. Lincoln. No. <laughs> I'm just going for anything like that. There'll from... be blood. I think you're trying to bait me. It's not. These are from Amer uh, a UK Amazon, by the right. way. So that's why oh, there's a okay. lot of chat yeah. about that. Yeah. No? The Post. <laughs> no. Two stars. And the title is... Um. <laughs> <laughs> now, what I love about this <laughs> is that the first word is all in capitals. And he's clearly tried to write crap, but what he's written is CARP! <laughs> Truly awful schmaltz. We gave up watching it about halfway through. Hardly a tribute. Forrest Gump? No. A tribute? Hardly a tribute. Not for the lads. <laughs> Even guys I knew said it's not a chick flick, it's real funny and a good watch. I've changed my friends. Four of us, two couples, sat down in the evening, and after 15 minutes, we all turned and looked at each other and went, Arg! <laughs> we all found it dull, predictable, and although better sung than I could do, not musically brilliant. La La Land? Not La La Land. Chicago? Not Chicago. West Side Story? <laughs> not West Side Story. Just going to list every musical That's the know. end of that. <laughs> no more. You've had three guesses. Oh. Four stars. Title? Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> This film is a fantastic feel-good experience. Not too impressed with Pierce Brosnan, but at least he tried. Mamma mia. Mama. Oh, Get out. Two points. <laughs> I love at least he tried. <laughs> and then uh, five stars. Thank you for the music. 100% fun film to watch. It's great to see these actors normally associated with such serious roles simply enjoying themselves. Do you know what? I don't mind Mamma Mia. Most insane. Very short. Abba. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Cheap case. Thin Blu-ray case. <laughs> One star. Thin Blu-ray case. To be fair, if you do have a very good library going on, to have a very thin Blu-ray there. Uh, there are so many people. I think someone was selling uh, knockoff Mamma Mia's on right. Amazon. Because there are so many people being like... Like the rental There was versions. no music in it. <laughs> what? <laughs> like just missing an audio yeah, track. Yeah, was missing a track. <laughs> so funny. Uh, Film number three. 
Actually, before we go on, I just wanted to say, someone I know bought a bootleg of Memento, and it got it, all it was on was just the special feature version where it runs in correct order. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Uh, she sent me a text, it was just like, Memento was really shit, and you told me how good it was. It was just quite bland and generic. That's and I was like, Because really obviously it's much shorter, because it has to cut yeah, out yeah, the yeah. catch-up yeah. bits. That's so weird. Don't buy pirates. <laughs> Don't buy <Fuck> pirates. <laughs> uh, film number three. One star. Ruined by inappropriate language. The film is utterly ruined by the profanity, which is entirely inappropriate to the film's unrealistic and mildly comic context. Kick-ass? No. School of Rock. No. <laughs> there is some profanity in there, though. Two stars. Knock-knock! That was... This is part of a wider review where he does a knock-knock joke at the start. It's nothing to do with it. Okay. This is quite long, uh, just because this should be the insane one, but there's a more insane one later. <laughs> the main character escapes the antagonist's clutches and serves up a cold entree of eat this, using only his thumb. <laughs> then we devour a delectable starter of commando rolls, followed by a taste bud tantalising main course through a labyrinthine-like crystal maze. This would be enough to stop any Superman, but Bond, using his knowledge of the Krypton factor, manages to solve the puzzles and get himself out just in time for tea. Skyfall? No. Quantum of Solace. It is not a Bond film. It's a Bond! <laughs> Johnny English. <laughs> I really love a cold entree of eat this. Uh, the no? Bond supremacy. No. Three stars. Okay. It's a good film, a bit old, a bit predictable, but it has a very good storyline and some strong, big actors makes it a good watch. <laughs> it's the most three-star review ever. Mission Impossible? No. People would call that old now, wouldn't they? Yeah. Four stars. Good entertainment. This is weird as well. I did not give it the full six stars, which is impossible on Amazon, <laughs> because I felt some of the scenes were just a little too far-fetched, like dodging explosive charges in tunnels and air-to-ground missiles. But that's America for you. <laughs> dodging explosive charges in four? tunnels? No. That's quite a good guess, though. Dodging missiles in tunnels? The Dark Knight? Explosive charges. Explosive no. No? No, close. Speed. Five stars. My favourite action movie of all time. Everything about this Terminator movie is... Terminator 2? No. <laughs> Everything about this movie is just perfect. Ed Harris is one of my favourite villains ever. Oh, top, to top it all off, Alcatraz is an amazing... The Rock. The Rock. Fuck it. Is an amazing location to have the movie take place on. One's, one point to you. It's 5-1. Should have got one of Most insane? This is mad. <laughs> this title is... This is titled, for no reason, Floppy. <laughs> <laughs> His plan is to steal a load of anal love toys filled with Predator from Predator blood. As the Jungle Girl said in Predator, its blood was on the leaves. The end of that film saw the Predator blow blood blow up in nuclear bomb type explode flame bang. These anal beads that are in the rock are just as dangerous, it seems, as if anal beads filled with Predator blood are an effective plot device to cause excitement. I mean, I'd watch that. <laughs> I mean... I haven't watched The Rock for a long time. I think there are, like, balls full of blood or something, but they're certainly not predator anal beads. Uh, oh, I just imagine, when you said in The Rock, I imagine Dwayne Johnson just uh, using one of the ones anal I, beads. I, I was gonna, it was a one star that I wanted to include, but it was too easy, which was, I bought this thinking it was the WWE! One star! <laughs> I was well angry. Oh. 
Film oh, number four. On we go. One star. I assume this was a satire. <laughs> the fact that people glare a lot, wear leather jackets, and drink whiskey out of Art Deco tumblers doesn't make it any more plausible that what is spilling out of their mouths is laughably sub Scorsese rubbish. I love haughty one star reviews. Mm. They're my favourite. Sub Scorsese rubbish. Mm-hmm. Oh. Art Deco suggests mm. earlier time period. LA Confidential. Nah. Nothing? No. Two stars. Meh. (laughs) Miscast, cliche characters, boring script and silly story that has been done better by so many others. No wit. This film pretends it's a class act. It isn't. Uh, Nah. Nah, Nah, nothing's happening. Three stars. Not a classic, but worth seeing. And this... I, I forgot to include the person's username because they deserve to be shown up for being a weird freak. <laughs> a slight warning to blank person. Fans, I bought this because she's in it. Miss Blank looks gorgeous, as she always does. However, she's hardly in this. And when she is, the director doesn't give us a close-up of her pretty feet or oh. her in stockings as suspenders that we want. Darn director. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't give us a close-up of her pretty... If I, I feel Imagine, like if I get it from this, it outs like, me as a That's what I was hoping verb. for. I, I don't know what this I absolutely be. love that he's bought a movie on the hope that I'm one going, actress will off, show her feet. I'm still going Is it reviewed by Tarantino? Stuff. I mean, it, it is not a... Road well, it could be. to Perdition. It's not Road to Perdition. <laughs> I think the time period thing may have been putting you off. Okay. They, they were Art Deco tumblers. The rest of it is not Art Deco. Four stars, <laughs> which I love because the title is not really a four, but certainly not an average three. <laughs> the violence is not over the top, except for one scene where someone gets the crap kicked out of them. And the plot is clever with some nice twists to keep you guessing. The film ends showing that the gangster world is not glamorous. Which is it Gangster of, Squad? No, uh, it, that kind of is all gangster <laughs> films, really. Yeah. The Godfather. <laughs> no. Part. Three, two. Goodfellas. Lawless. No, no. It's the Scorsese. Is it an actual Scorsese? I'm being thrown. That's the... It is not. Five stars. Let's go. Got to do it. It ain't no Donnie sponge. If you like Lockstock and other such films, Snatch. you'll love this. Layer cake. Layer cake. It ain't no sponge. <laughs> <laughs> Five, two. Most insane. This is long, but well worth it. Because the title is... Take a generous slice of this cake. <laughs> Craig plays baker Henwick Petty. By day, he works in a patisserie. It is mad when you think that. At night, he's not called Henwick Petty. He hasn't got a name in the film, that's the point. By day, he works in a patisserie. At night, he is a lethal contract killer. Craig is hired by ruthless gangster Hugo Bastion Steed to undertake a most deadly contract. In a particularly eerie scene, Bastion Steed visits the patisserie just two minutes before closing, placing Craig under a lot of pressure as Craig was just about to lock up. Bastion Steed proceeds to place an order for 100 fondant fancies, which must be prepared and delivered to his garden party within 48 hours. The tension is nail-biting as Craig weighs up whether he can manage to fulfil the order. I'd watch that. Just making up a film about Daniel Craig as a patisserie chef. 5-2. Uh, Anything's possible. I'm now going to make it five points for the link. 
Just for fun. Wow, he's giving me a chance. That's very kind. Well, you could still get it on the fifth, yeah. fifth thing. One star. SJW garbage. <laughs> garbage would be too good a word. Why'd you use the word garbage? Captain Marvel. Correct. Hey. Oh, <laughs> I thought that might be a bit easy. We'll keep going through. Blah. Shows how your mind works, Matt. Some, I'm well into the SJW. <laughs> Actually, some of these are just quite boring. It's mostly about fight scenes and how long it is. Uh, and then... Let's just have the funny one. I, uh, yeah, most insane. I love this. So many kills, I ran out of calculation. <laughs> Five stars. <laughs> I love the idea that he's calculating many, the kills. How many kills? That's Captain Marvel. Killings? Well, you've definitely won. That's 10-2. Oh, yeah. Can you Absolutely guess the link? smashed it. They win the boys? No. It's nothing to do with this week's running. Oh, one. good. Hot Fuzz, Mamma Mia, The Rock, Layer Cake, Captain Marvel. That's a... Uh... It's Trixie. Yeah. Don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no? no? Nothing's happening. They all My feature... My brain's not working. And this is, this is Trixie. They all feature a 007. Hot Fuzz, Timothy Dalton, Mamma Mia, oh. Pierce Brosnan, uh, The Rock, Sean Connery, Layer Cake, Daniel Craig, and Captain Marvel, Lashana Lynch, incoming female 007. That's a tricksy one there. Wow. Is that, is that 100% confirmed? That's still rumour at this stage. I well, think. come on, it's definitely happening. Hmm. Amazon Review me? Roundup. What a long quiz. <laughs> yeah. Well done, Joe. I liked it. Should we have some feedback? Yeah, why not? Oh, I've got one. Okay. I've got one from Christopher Idden. He says, hello, I'm asking in response to your MCU breakdown and the what-if idea tease. Oh, yeah. Mine would be a return to Captain America the Winter Soldier with my idea being what would have happened if Hydra succeeded and who would have stopped their gunship? Matt, that's one for you. There's uh, not quite fully answering your question, but the second half of season one of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. sort of does investigate what would happen if S.H.I.E.L.D. was just taken over by HYDRA. Mm. Because, yeah, there's obviously um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., literally a show about S.H.I.E.L.D. The Pretty much, I think, the moment that the uh, Winter Soldier dropped, like the next episode was just about all of the fallout of that. So That's quite cool. Yeah, no, it was really, really good. It was a, Actually, I think Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is kind of underrated as a show. Like, it's not brilliant in any means. But there's lots of interesting stuff that happens in it that just you can't do in the MCU mm. because either it's too small fry or it just takes too long to explain. Right. But certainly um, for season one of season one of Agents of Shield has like the first few ep- the first half of it was all just like episode of the week, very Gotham like in which they were taking kind of like shitter versions of characters that you knew from the comics. It felt sadly reminiscent of Torchwood. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. The wonderful thing about them dropping Winter Soldier was it turned into just a completely different show on the other side, and it was like. Which I think found. I know that Joss Whedon isn't the showrunner on that. It's like his, his brother, brother yeah. and stuff like that. But a lot of Whedon's later work suffer from the fact that, like, the network made him make five or six episodes that were very much very easy for anybody to watch if they'd never watched any of it before. Mm. And then they knew by that point nobody was ever going to come back to it, and the only people left watching would be fans. Yeah. And then it gets to become a serial thing. That's exactly what happened with Agents of Shield. Like after the Winter Soldier drop, it was then a story that was just being told episode to mm. episode rather than episode of the weeks. Um and so yeah, that is it. It's not obviously answering the full what if, you know, the whole stuff with the heli carriers and stuff like that. But there's a little bit of an answer there. If you want to watch the second half of a television series you might not care about. Uh, I, at the at Comic Con I was at the Agents of Shield panel, which was very confusing because I've never watched an episode of that show. And what they did was they were celebrating its incoming and final seventh End. season by showing <laughs> 
uh, like short montages of clips from every single other season then talking about those seasons edited down that show looks fucking insane <laughs> like Agent Coulson dies like four times yeah. it's so weird <laughs> I tell you what the the second series revolved all around um, like because that was the you know when they were planning to have the Inhumans be a massive part yeah, yeah, of yeah. Um, like the Marvel television side obviously that crashed because literally episode one of Inhumans one of the worst episodes of television I've ever seen however the Inhuman storyline that's in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is fucking amazing and it started at like the mid-season break I can remember watching like the finale of the episode that was happening in sort of like the first year of it Mm. And had no idea what was coming. And it just... I don't know if you know how Inhumans are made, but it's Terrigenesis Mists. Right, yeah, yeah. Like, when this box opened and fucking Terrigenesis Mists came out, that is one of those points where I was just fucking whooping around the room. Like, so excited. <laughs> and then it went to shit. Yeah. I love mist! He shouted <laughs> over and over again. My housemate was very confused. <laughs> Matt, I believe you have some more crisp correspondence. correspondence. It's uh, still going on. It's been pushed towards me, this crisp. Is this yeah, now it's, my it's now regular thing? Oh, don't worry, I've got a thing. long crisp email oh, here, wow. so... Okay, but it's just how it's at the top. It's it's Because it, we get all this correspondence printed out. We're still using paper. We're awful. Bad nah, for the fine. planet. <laughs> but the topic's got Matt's crisp correspondence. I feel yeah. like you've you've put the emphasis yeah. on me. Well, ever since you said the fatal words cheese and chive, oh, okay. we've all known that you're a you're a connoisseur <laughs> of the lesser known crisp. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll start with Dafford Gape. I'm sorry if I've pronounced that incorrectly. I'm not Gav, so I don't have the Welsh. <laughs> Uh, background. Um, if I've spelled, if I've done it wrong, please get in touch with me at Matt Perslow. Tell me how much of a shit I am. He just wants followers. <laughs> yeah, it was, that was shameless. Wasn't it? <laughs> Unbelievable. So, this is about crisps, of course, specifically the ridged beauty that is the ruffle. Mm. At Calgary Airport, I was struck for a good lunch option until I, my eyes were caught by a peculiar flavour of the crisp. The crisp was ruffles. The flavour, all dressed. All Ooh. dressed. Mm. After the ruffle chat on the potty, I had to try them. After devouring them in sub-five minutes, I can state that they were not an overly greasy snack. The packet displayed a salt shaker, half an onion, a red bell pepper. (laughs) Because I feel that's what all dress must mean to Canadians. And it was a taste sensation coupled with a banging mouthfeel. Mouthfeel! I love that we're getting into mouthfeel now. (laughs) Um, Me and Joe realised that... When we were at E3, actually. We've eaten with them. It, yeah, yeah. We, uh, we had some ruffles. We had the ranch I dressing one, and they're good. Ranch and dressing. Dipped in double, ranch dressing. Double ranch. Yeah, we ranched up stuff. the ranch. Uh, and now I have heart disease. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God they don't have them here. Yeah, I'd be dead. <laughs> yeah, they were good. I see what he means by them being sort of like a not overly greasy, robust snack. Yeah, because yeah. that's a response to, is it the rough, the Spanish ruffles mm. will leave an oily yeah, residue. Right. I'm but always it, a fan of a ridge crisp over a non-ridged crisp. Oh, well, more surface area. Mm. Yeah. More flavour. Yep. Get mm. the dust in there. A thicker cut. Yes, please. What well, do you got? Another one. Scott Norton says, We always used to get curry twiglets at Christmas. I remember them being amazing. I hate normal t- twiglets, y'all. Yeah, I fucking hate <laughs> yeah, normal they're twiglets. Not, they're not good. Yeah, I don't like Marmite. I used to like them a lot more. I can't remember the last time I had a twiglet there. Mm. They're gross. Curry, though. You're gross. I'll get into that. That is true. It's gross. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Do you guys remember Monster Munch for Halloween that turned your tongue blue? No. No, no. <laughs> Not a clue. What the fuck is that? That's, What's your, that's something your older brother did to you. <laughs> what the Scott? What flavour Monster Munch was that? I don't. Not a clue. Imagine they were flavourless, they just turned your tongue blue. Anyway, speaking of foreign crisps, I went to Tenerife last year and discovered 
curly peanut butter crisps that are so good, I found out the newsagents by my work sells them. Oh my god. I imagine these are like peanut butter quavers. So uh, That sounds good. Have you heard of a, I think they're called peanut flips, which is something that you can get from places like Lidl. Oh, are they? And they're basically what? giant Watsits, but they're peanut flavoured. Oh no, I've not seen those. Because flips are those pretzels that are covered in stuff. Those are the good great. flips. I these are bad flips. Bad flips. <laughs> Danger flips. God, they're gross. <laughs> But he says, uh, my question is, what is, or what was, your favourite 20 to 30p range crisps? <laughs> I love pickled onion space invaders and the spicy Transformers crisps to this day. I'm guessing, Scott, you might be somewhat younger than me because space invaders used to cost 10p when I was an imp. Yeah, 20 to 30. Uh, um, I must admit uh, that when I frequented my school's talk shop... Um, I was always a fan of the sweet rather than the savoury. So I would go for a wham bar or a refresher bar. A refresher bar is good. good. the lesser seen Iron Brew refresher bar, which is fucking incredible. They are good. Did you ever have a Stinger bar? It's like spicy Iron Brew. Or just like a handful of fruit salads. (laughs) Yeah. Fruit salads are good. Stinger bars. I don't remember a Stinger bar. Stinger bars were, they were bigger than a refresher, but they got a popping candy through the middle of them. (laughs) And they were like a real sharp, fruity kind of flavour to the... What's the... Is it gum? The stuff that you... It's not oh, it's chewing like, gum, but yeah. it's gummy. Yeah, it's like sort of a like, danger. That was, yeah. a, <laughs> that was a big, chunkier pick-and-mix budget gone there. Like when I was... Oh, yeah, yeah. Like I think it was on a Friday and mum would, my mum would either say you can have a pack of football stickers or you can have like 50p pick-and-mix. Sophie's choice. 50p, 50p was a lot back then. Me, yeah. But it was once a week. Some kids got it twice a week. See, I used to... My mum would let me have 5p in pick-and-mix a day. 5p oh a day? day. <laughs> I'd rather have 50p in one go. I think... I, this genuinely sounds like the oldest thing you could say, but I, I honestly remember a time when sweets were a penny each. <laughs> <laughs> I, I used to buy penny sweets. Well, that's the thing. That's why 5p. I you see, I, I get 5p so I can have some milk bottles, or sometimes I spend the whole 5p on a strawberry belt. I love a good. strawberry belt. I remember the days when, yeah, some, like, it would be one or two p. Some sweets popped up to 3p. Nothing costs 3p. I remember the first time I saw a Mars bar being more than 50p and I lost oh. my fucking mind. <laughs> yeah, fucking hell. BP, yeah. you've done it again. Let, let's know what your favourite... Let's move on from crisps. Let's know what your favourite maybe like sweet bar... You know, I don't know how you describe them, like a refresher type thing. What's your luxury pick-a-mix item? Yeah, luxury pick-a-mix. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I love luxury pick-a-mix. No chocolate unless it appears in a pick-a-mix. We don't yeah. want to know yeah, what your yeah, favourite yeah, yeah. Mars bar is or anything like yeah. that. Yeah, off. Yeah, and if you're getting fudge on a weighed one, you're a moron. Oh, yeah, that's insane. Although fudge is you, good, though, Although but if not you're weighed. in Woolworths, you get those cups where it costs yeah. the same, and you can take the cup and you can lower the bottom so yeah. you get more. Just Remember at Woolworths, you used to be able to pick and mix cans of pop. No. What? In, in the Woolworths, the, in, when I was a kid, there used to be like the pick and mix rack, but the end ones that mm. were rounded, I just got stuff like like kid style pop. I can remember having like Mr. Panda Blobby Pops. pink lemonade. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> like those Panda Pops. Yeah. They were grotesque. Mm. The blue one tasted like <laughs> illness. <laughs> I've got something from Casey Coleman. Hello, lads, with a double D. Ooh. First of all, the best chips are Tato, cheese, and onion. I live in the US, but my parents are Irish. I've heard a lot of chat about Tato, and I've yeah. never had them. No, neither. And I don't think anyone who says Tato like Tato <laughs> has ever eaten a Tato. <laughs> tato. Uh, second up, though you were saying you can't get ruffles anymore, that is one of the two main potato chips in America. Yeah. We know we were saying in the UK. They've also been on a tear over the past two years or so of introducing mad flavours just to see what sticks. Here we go. More ruffles. Loaded baked potato, marinara and mozzarella, 
chicken and waffles. Ooh. They even rolled out a poutine flavour for Ooh. Canada. Oh, Ooh. that sounds yes. good. Damn, mother! <laughs> <laughs> Anything they can come up with, and then people vote online with which ones they want to stick around. It's similar to the explosion in Oreo flavours over the past five or six years, and M&Ms have been slowly creeping up there for a while. They had two flavours for like 60 years, and now we're up to about eight. Well, it's I gone do mad. I do want to talk about the hard caramel M&Ms. They are banging. They will blow your teeth to shreds and you'll love every second of it. I love them. I've seen them bringing out chocolate brownie M&M's. Oh my God. Oh. Bring it on. I'm into it. <laughs> Kit Kats have had the random flavours for a while but seem fairly restricted to Japan for the most variety and have seen only three or four creep over to the US. I also like Guinness Foreign Extra which I've seen in China and Ireland but not the US. I don't know what Guinness no Foreign Extra is. Seeing as how you travel for work often, are there any regional flavours for otherwise normal things that have jumped out to you and been amazing slash horrifying? So, hard mm. caramel M&M's, that's, as yeah. far as I understand, and the US pretzel delicacy. M&Ms. So you can oh, get them in the UK now, the hard caramel you? ones. Oh, yeah. good. You can't get the pretzel ones. Pretzel M&M's no. are an absolute monster of a snack. Yeah. Love them. Mm-hmm. Um, they used to do peanut butter jelly M&M's. They were fun. Yeah, I do nice. remember, it's now widely available in the UK again, thank God, but... Those dark years where vanilla coke weren't available. Oh, yeah, yeah that was I, I went to Australia for it. We were I talk, actually we're going I went to LA when I was seventeen and brought back a twelve. <laughs> That's like every time I go to America, I bring back a huge thing of mug or A and W root beer because you can't get like evil root beer over here. The stuff that has no caffeine but sugar to kill you. Mm. Um, I brought back two liters recently and drank it in a day. <laughs> yeah, just a big fan. Yeah, whenever we go to America, anything ranch flavored, we just don't have ranch over here no. in abundance. Apart anyway. from Newman's own dressing, mm, which is yes. a banger, and all profits go to charity. Um, <laughs> I, it is easy, but Japanese Kit Kats are an absolute slammer. You didn't like the grape ones, but I love the no, grape ones. I, I've not had the the privilege. Mm, they so, are good. Yeah. I'll tell mm. you what. Um, slightly outside of the sweet element. There's this thing in Japan, right? I don't know what it's called, and I keep get. I've been three times, and I brought it back twice. Herpes. Me, yes, <laughs> a foreign disease. Uh, me and my girlfriend are slightly obsessed with a foreign disease. No, are obsessed with this like savory snack that's kind of like chicken katsu jerky. Oh, I know you brought back like some last time. I don't know what's in it, but you sure it's chicken? I don't know. It's like a. It's like a, a chicken refresher bar in breadcrumbs. My God. And I swear to God, it's one of the tastiest <laughs> snacks I've ever had. Wow. I'm obsessed. And I can't find a whole packet of it. I've only ever found it wrapped as a bar, like a refresher, or in a big pack of, like, just fish, savoury, dried mm. snacks that I don't like. Well, if you do know what that is, please tell Joe at IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com. But if you go to Japan, get this chicken katsu jerky, give it. <laughs> I bet it's got a brilliant advert. You know, oh, yeah, can yeah, you remember yeah. the long man advert? Long, long man! <laughs> In my mind, I imagine it's like a fruit wind-up, but chicken. But what's well, flat. So, oh, okay, yeah. so it doesn't wind. I mean, you could wind it, mm. if you were so inclined. Mm. Uh, I'm trying to think of other foreign... Num nums. I think that's enough. Well, <gasps> people should let us know what we brought back a like a weird Malteser called Crop. Or did I bring oh, that back? You did from Sweden, from Iceland? No, Iceland, Sweden. Iceland, yeah, one um, of them, which is like a Malteser, but the malt element is much harder. It's more of a biscuit. It's not really malt, is it? It's yeah, more, it was really. It's nice. more like a uh, rice crispy malt. Yeah, so it was like really rice. good. Crop is delicious. It was really good. Um, yeah, well, some in Finland couldn't find it, so it's obviously I not think it's Iceland only. wide. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, let us know what your favourite foreign snacks are. <laughs> if you're indeed foreign, what's your favourite English one? <laughs> that's that boring. Fun? <laughs> no, that's boring. <laughs> Unless I regret they've had something that. mental. 
Yeah. Um, I'm yeah. I want to know your cheap, your luxury pick and mix. I want to know your crazy foreign variations. Yep. And I want to know how you're feeling. Yeah. And I want to. Anyone has any more Marvel what if ideas? What? Yeah. There, there was. Let's I know. was expecting a bigger. I mean, the problem is that crisps are clearly crisps. Win. We are genuinely thinking of doing a crisp only special, and then just no more crisp after yeah. that because it's. I mean, we're getting more feedback than ever. <laughs> but it's turning into the garage. It is mostly <laughs> crisps. Yeah. Um, we don't do garage anymore. We play a bit of music. So I'm going to say what you want about Once Upon a Time Hollywood and Tarantino. He knows how to score his films mm. and choose a soundtrack. And my God, is this a banging soundtrack of all all 60s bangers. Some you will know, some some hidden gems. So I'm going to... I haven't decided which one because uh, I completely forgot we did California this now. California Dreaming. No, Come that's on. too obvious. Oh, I'm going to pick okay. one. I'm going to pick a better song. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> Yeah. 